You're listening to the New Century Multiverse. Secret Rooms. Definitive Edition. Chapter 12. The Unabandoned Town. From the Journal of Captain Annie Oakley. West Virginia, October 16th, 1882. Around noon on Sunday, we rode into town. I watched Abigail closely from the corner of my eye. As people appeared in the windows of their houses and passers-by stopped to watch us, I saw her craning around, searching. She clearly hadn't recognized a single face yet. We were stopped in the middle of the street as we approached the town square by the sheriff and her men. Welcome to New Athens. I'm Mary Sampson. Now listen up. I don't care who you are. I'll be taking your firearms for the duration of your time here. Them's the rules in this town. That going to be a problem for you? That's fair. Just take good care of them, okay? That I will, ma'am. They're going somewhere safe. You play nice, and you'll get them back. Now account for yourselves, please. My lovely pistols and my Winchester were handed over, along with every other weapon James and Abigail were carrying. These periods of disarmed negotiation were, as one might imagine for someone like me, the most tense and trying of scenarios, purely for my lack of a last resort. I felt entirely naked without my guns, and the only reassurance was the absence of weaponry on display by all but the sheriff and her deputies. Forgive me, sheriff, you said New Athens just now. We came looking for the people of Clearwater. Then you're a few years too late, I'm afraid. We came up this way from Georgia and settled here in 78. God's on his truth. When we arrived, the place was empty. Empty how? Like everyone was dead or... No bodies. Either they got taken or they left. But nobody left a note. Are you sure? I mean, would you mind if we looked around and... How about you start again with who you are and what y'all are doing here, besides looking for some folks who I've already said are nowhere to be found? We're agents from the reunified government. Boys, give them back their guns. They won't be staying long. Wait, you gotta hear us out. At this point, a tiny, grizzled little bastard with a golden chain around his neck emerged from the doorway behind the sheriff, having clearly been in the process of earwaking our exchange. Now hold on there, fellas. Government agents, my hearing that right? Well, I'm Caleb Buck, the mayor of these parts, and nothing happens without my say-so. Don't you mind the dismissive words of this uppity mulatto? She gets ideas above a station. I'd call the defense and well-being of these people exactly my station. Well, I don't know who gave her a badge, but she was already throwing her copious weight around when our groups joined forces. Either way, the people of this town look to me to make their feelings known. Buck of all the goddamn nerve. I'm handling this now. You go see if there's trouble elsewhere. These three look like reputable types. Y'all feel free to state your case here. Go ahead, Abigail. This is your party. All right, Mayor Buck. I'm Private Gray of the Reunified States Government. This is Private Penrose and Captain Oakley. And we're here to talk to all of you about joining us in the fight to take back our nation. And our erstwhile captain's going to fill you in by reading directly from the official handbook. Well then, let's get everyone gathered round to hear the good news. Joey, go house to house and bring them all over here, would you? Uh, right away, sir. You don't want to take this one, Gray? Well, you read it so well, it seems like the best application of our abilities. I'll preserve my talking voice for the mayor and the sheriff here. 
That's no problem. You just stay calm now. I am calm. I gave a truly world-class reading this time. I figured whatever groundwork I could lay down might give Gray a solid opportunity to establish a connection. I noticed while I was reading that some people were on board almost immediately. Yet, as I closed down, others still had their arms folded and were whispering and shaking their heads. We were shown into the saloon while the mayor and the sheriff went out for a private little chat about the situation New Athens now found itself in. Abigail sat by the window, gazing out the street, dreamy and impassive in a way I hadn't seen her before. Almost childlike. James approached me by the bar, and we talked quietly, eyeing the doors all the while. I imagine she's feeling kind of disappointed right about now. Doubtless. A decade of uncertainty has just been extended. Indefinitely. This ain't what I wanted when I agreed to come here. In all honesty, I figured the odds of a family reunion with whoever remained was fairly unlikely. I reckoned instead on a graveyard. Something definitive to help her get through this. It's the first time something like this has happened to so many people, James. History is filled with death and loss, but at this very minute, everyone alive has lost someone they care about to one great storm of calamity. We're grieving here. A world in mourning. And worst of all, most of us never got the chance to say a proper goodbye to our loved ones. So, with this place, I just... If it was there... I wanted to give that to her. How many have you lost, Captain? Oh, I'm gonna need a drink for this one. Ugh. I had six sisters and a brother in my family. My daddy died when I was five. My sister Mary Jane when I was six. That was back in Ohio. Then, Elizabeth and Hola were in Pennsylvania when the Wendigo arrived on the East Coast. They didn't get out of there in time. My mama and my sister Lydia went from typhoid on the road in 73. And John, my little brother, and my half-sister Emily made it all the way to Missouri. But by the time I got there, both of them had starved to death in the harsh winter of 78. Now, it's just me and Sarah Ellen left. I saw her about a year ago. She's a nurse in Baltimore. She has her work to focus on, people to keep alive. I guess that's what keeps her going through our family falling away, two by two. I'm so sorry. How did you, how do you manage all of this? Well, every time the frustration wells up inside me and I feel like I'm going to burst, I go to a quiet, secluded place and I cry my goddamn eyes out. I cry until I have no energy left and I'm well below rock bottom. I cry until I'm numb. Then, after I've done that, then I can crawl out of that pit and face the world again. 
All too often, I see people putting up strong defenses against all of this. But what they fail to grasp is that it's not a beast you can keep locked out. It's already in the house. They soldier on for other people, for their duty, for their own survival, and because of those defenses, they never let this beast out. You can look into their eyes and see them trapped in there with it, trying to do what they feel they must, holding it back from the world. Like what's out there matters more than what's in here. And sooner or later, they break. Some go loud and violent. Some just crumble quietly. And there's some that just lay down and never wake up again. We're so fragile, James. We can really only take so much. I reckon sadness and despair is just as much of a killer as the Wendigo, or disease or hunger. That's why I cry. It's my safety valve and my way of letting the beast out, even if only for a little while. You may want to talk to Abigail about this. She much of a secret crier? Quite the opposite. As far as I can tell, she never cries. Never? I've known her nearly ten years, and I can't recall an occasion. No matter what was going on around us, I never saw a single tear. I honestly don't think she's capable. I see. Troubling? Yes. Indeed. Watching her now, I'm rather concerned myself. The other reason I'm able to keep going is the people I have left. I love Frank with all my heart. He's my rock. I love Sarah Ellen. And if she goes before me, my world will have a little less light. But while they're here, I'm going to relish every minute I spend with them. And miss them while we're apart. Yes. I suppose you must. Anyway. On that note, today, I'm your pots. You need to eat something. He told you. Of course he did. All right, you three, you're coming with us. Three men had just strode into the saloon. They were unarmed, but large and muscular. My hand went to my belt and, of course, found no gun to rely on. Abigail stood up swiftly and positioned herself in front of me as they approached. Wait a moment, fellas. Where are we supposed to be going? Out of this town. You're not from the sheriff or you'd have brought our guns back. We'll get your weapons and leave them outside for you. But you have to be on your way. Why? Because too many of us in this town ain't happy with the news you bought us. We figured killing you would be somewhat over the line. But if you don't come quiet and nice, we got no problems beating the living shit out of you and tying you to your horses. Wait, we have to talk about this. What's to talk about? Get moving. Hey, get your hands off me. Come on, don't you struggle, girl. At this, Abigail caught the ungentlemanly type to her left with a powerful right hook. He seemed surprised for a moment before dropping like a sack of potatoes. 
I strained against the vice-like grip of the man holding me fast, but he was strong and brutal, and my wrist felt like it was tearing off. Seeing Abigail call upon her instincts and abilities, react so savagely, yet with such control just hammered home how small and weak I suddenly felt. In a flash, Abigail had turned and squared off against my attacker, slamming her fist into the side of his head. <coughs> he released me and kicked out at her, and in half a second they were smashed together. She kept her guard up, but he pressed his size advantage, fainting high before gut-punching her and cracking her across the face. <coughs> Suddenly, his arm was trapped and she was hitting him back, breaking his nose. In another three hits, he was on the ground, spitting blood. As I reeled backwards and the rest of the saloon patrons scurried into the street, I caught sight of James. He had taken several punches himself, but wriggled behind his attacker, targeting both shoulders. Oh, shit! Oh, my God! Oh, my God! What have you done? Now, now. I've dislocated both your arms. If you can be a good boy, I'll put them back. Oh, man. Whatever you say, I didn't want to do this in the first place. Then we have an accord. Oh! Oh! Oh, my God. Oh, that's better. Thank you. Now, I'm a doctor. I'll tend to all three of you, provided you'll allow me to. But I really must insist that your town hear my colleagues out. Ah. You okay, Captain? Yeah, uh, I'll be all right. That happened to you much? Strangely enough, no. It rarely comes to this. I'll bet it doesn't. As the men picked themselves up, the sheriff stood in the doorway, rifle in hand. The mayor standing behind her. Sheriff Sampson, these boys here were asking us to leave town without elaborating on the government's plans. I didn't send them. We figured. But I kinda wish I had. I'd have given them guns. Get up, Troy. What the hell were you thinking? I'm sorry, ma'am. I was... I was trying to do right by what you said. You should have trusted me to handle this one. Now you may have made things worse for us all. I'm sorry. Truly. I apologize for their behavior, but not their intentions. Were it up to me, you'd be gone in ten minutes. Well, fortunately, it ain't up to you, Mary. I also want to apologize to our guests. This is not what our town is like. We're a peaceful folk. That's why we keep the guns locked away. Listen up, we're going to have a meeting about this tonight. I'd ask you to attend, but I fear your presence may incite more altercations. So we found you somewhere to rest for the evening. We'll take it. Thank you, sir, for considering our offer. What kind of man would I be if I left my people pissing in the wind, right, Mary? The sheriff left without a word, and the tiny man showed us to our house. Donated for the duration of our stay by the Galloway family. I now sit in the largest bedroom, and I can see over the way to the town meeting. It's been going on for three hours now, and the occasional shouting match is filtering across to me through the evening sky. 
It's very possible we'll all be murdered in our beds tonight. It's strange. Now I'm the distrustful one. You have been listening to episode 12 of Secret Rooms Definitive Edition. The Unabandoned Town. Written and directed by Alexander Shaw. Annie Oakley, performed by Loretta Saylor. James Penrose and Troy, performed by Alex Shaw. Abigail Gray, performed by Sharon Shaw. Mary Sampson, performed by Maureen Foley. Lucas Buck, performed by Matt Wardle. The Escalation, Prelude and Action, and Ossuary, composed and performed by Kevin MacLeod of Incompetech.com. Make Your Decision by Dan Philipson of Shockwave Sound. Many Soundscapes by Tabletop Audio. Our $15 patrons get sponsor credit every episode, so thank you too. Joel Robinson, Benjamin Biddle, Abel Savard, Michael Hasco, Angus Lee, Marty Huey, David Sheely, Kevin Vahey, Daniel Salguero, Connor Kennedy, Brian Novak, Evan Jankowski, Sarah Montgomery, Dan Hepner, Johan Clayson, Tyler Long, Joe Gasiga, Greg Downing, Tim Rosensky, Christopher Wolf, Kat Esman, Cassandra Newman, Timothy Green, Matthew A. Siebert, Joseph Gluck, Nick Ord, Duran Barnett, Tom Painter, Finbar Nicole, Jameis Enright, Mark Luksh, Dan Mayer, Joe Crow, Chris Finnick, Toby Jungius, Dave Hickman, Aaron Lecluse, Kieran Dashler, and Lorraine Chisholm. Just before we go, it is worth pointing out that the first book in Phase 2 of New Century has just been released, Uncivil Outlaw. And this is the first one that I am doing without the audio adaptation coming first. So that's Uncivil Outlaw, now available on Amazon, via the Kindle store, or a beautiful paperback edition. And this one is a gripping, page-turning political thriller, but it's also filled with mayhem, action, and humor. So if you've read or listened up to Steamheart, this book is your next port of call. And if you've already read it, Uncivil Outlaw could do with a few reviews. 